0: welcome everyone to the nerd journey podcast episode number 164 we're joining you every week to talk it career progression and bring you the advice we wish we've been given earlier in our careers i'm your host nick cordy at network nerd underscore on twitter filling in for my normal co-host john white at BJourneyman. we are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in it operations we hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you wanna get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. All right, this is the conclusion of our series of interviews with Louise Bunyan. Let's recap for you real quick in episode 162 which was part one we talked about what it's like to be in talent marketing which is louise's current role what is the function of that within an organization and what's its role in the hiring process we also talked about louise's early career as an events assistant how she relocated to another country and how she took feedback and decided to fill a skills gap in part two episode 163 Louise shared with us an interesting way to gain experience through bartering and treating it like a regular job, putting it on your resume, and gaining that relatable experience when it's hard to get it. She also gave a deep dive on search engine optimization and talked about how that specific skill set was part of what led to the birth of SmartFox, which is her business. This week, we're going to go into a little bit more details on the birth of smart fox and the circumstances surrounding that what would you do if you were told today that you had a very short amount of time to pack up your desk and be on your way well louise is going to tell us the story of exactly how that happened to her and she's going to share what is it like to go 5 months without a job but she's also going to share the passion she developed for candidates, all the interviews she went on, and the feedback she was getting. You'll hear about her move to talent marketing and why that made sense. And she's gonna give us some insight into why someone would start their own business and move back to working for an employer. So let's get to it. Here we go with part three and the conclusion of our series of interviews with Louise Bunyan. a couple of times, Elise, and I think we should dive deeper, and that's this idea of being made redundant, because I want you to tell the story of what happened when you were made redundant, if you don't mind.
1: So um, I left the the recruitment agency to move to this really cool scaling tech startup in Cork. It was like a slice of Silicon Valley in Cork, and um, I became a full-time content writer and I joined quite a new team. There was one person there ahead of me and then two of us were hired to join this one person. Look, I won't go into details on it, but you know, just instinctively, I just kind of knew, I was like, what am I after doing? Like this place is, is not for me. So it was a bit helter skelter. Um, they were scaling massively. Like, I think they'd gone like from 40 people to 70 people in like, and I was only there kind of a couple of months. It was crazy. So we were doing the best with our blog and uh, we won an award, actually. Uh, we won Best Marketing Communications Blog in Ireland in like September 2016. And then I'll never forget it. I just, you know, do you ever get like a gut feeling? Like I just, I knew, I knew something was up. I knew something was coming. We got a new director from New York who was making like sweeping changes. I just, I was very kind of Mm, I was like "Mm, I don't know if I'll be okay here now you know and so anyway I remember coming in like that morning so it was like in October it was Tuesday morning in October and one or two people wouldn't look me in the eye they wouldn't meet me like in the eye so um they were actually quite senior at the time so i think they knew i don't i I know that they knew what was coming so anyway at about 3 p.m we got a message from the ceo on chat to come to this room and i was just like oh this is either really really good or this is really really bad so we walked into this room and there was him and, and the head of HR and basically we were told that they were outsourcing the blog to um, an agency in New York and we were being made redundant there and then and we had like 20 minutes, 30 minutes to say goodbye and to pack up our desk and go. So a part of me actually was was relieved. I was like, I have a get out of jail card here. I can go into interviews, we're not allowed to swear on this podcast. I can't, I can say like, I didn't mess up, do you know what I mean? I I wasn't fired legitimately. Our jobs are outsourced to a content marketing agency in New York. And in hindsight, that would be very naive. So um, packed up the desk, me and my colleague Tom were in absolute shock. Went home that evening. My CV was almost brand new because it was only eight months old through made redundant after eight months. I put in the awards that we won. I was like, I'll be grand. I'll be fine. And then I started interviewing her. And that has been, that was a massive learning process. Very grueling. Ground me down. burnt me out. I interviewed full time for five months. Relentless rejection. And basically, interestingly, what happened was job titles weren't Accurate people were looking for digital marketing manager. You go along for the interview, and Facebook kept coming up in interviews again and again. Have you run Facebook ads? What's your Facebook campaign experience like? You've no experience running Facebook ads. So I scratched my head, kind of going, Why are you calling it a, a digital marketing manager job when you're actually looking for a Facebook expert? So after After a while, I started writing down everything I could remember when I came out of an interview into a spreadsheet and after about two months, I read back over it and I was like, why is Facebook cropping up again and again and again? So look, I'm not going to change companies putting the wrong job titles on job specs, you know, I can't change that. But what I could change was my skill set and closing that gap. So that's when I started freelancing and i I worked with a couple of clients i ran facebook ads because that was the problem when i had been in in my two previous roles somebody else always did facebook ads either an agency or a consultant and i just didn't have that that hands-on experience actually what we'd mentioned at the very start like for interns and new grads trying to get a job i had five six years seven years experience i had an award but i didn't have this this thing that companies wanted. So um, I had to go back and I had to upskill and I did an advanced Facebook advertising course. I ran a couple of campaigns and literally like, that's all it was. Um, that's all I needed then for clients to start kind of working with me. But at that stage, I, I had kind of carved out this path then in, in LinkedIn training. And, and I really kind of took that on. And then I got mentoring from one of Ireland's leading e-commerce mentors about three years ago. And she just said, you have to call yourself Ireland's leading expert uh, in LinkedIn training. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And she was like, you are? And she was like, own that space. And I did, I put it on my LinkedIn headline.
0: And if memory serves, this owning a business was actually critical to you getting the job you have now, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, because of that awful candidate experience that I had, I'm very passionate about the candidate experience and I'll fight for the candidate. I wrote a couple of blogs. I let rip in one blog about all the terrible experiences that I had as an interviewee. Um, I started writing about talent personas. I started becoming very passionate about employer branding. And then I suppose to like the LinkedIn, I started kind of working with one or two companies on their employer branding. And then when I, when I saw the job for VMware and I read through the job spec and I was like, this is me. Like the first time ever in my life, I, I read through the job spec and I was like, trainer, copywriter, a words person, you know, somebody who's passionate about employer branding, the candidate experience based in Ireland. I was like, this is me. So. Yeah, me and my little company, Smart Fox, um, I had four interviews and they actually didn't really feel like interviews and got the job and I'm still here.
2: I think what's fascinating about that is you touched on it a couple times, I think this is my takeaways, was companies who are posting positions and they didn't put the critical skill that was going to rule people in or out As an an actual requirement. So if this was an experience that you did not have. Why were you at the interview? Like why did the recruiter call you? Right? Like that is. You know that means that company is being inefficient. And uh, that means that they are spending money. And time and effort. on, On things that are getting them low yield. It's an interesting position to be in. As a manager or as a hirer you know, or as an interviewer to realize, wait a minute, like, you know, we have a critical skill and I have like, uh, you know, at least one person who's at the like in-person interviewing stage or at the screening call stage where, you know, supposedly we have like this, you know, talent system that's screening people out, but that hasn't happened yet. You know, so what are we paying for? And then the other, the other realization is that, um, the future of outsourcing, is to take, you know, like low cost of living jobs in Cork and outsource them to uh, Manhattan because that makes no sense <laughs> at all. But somehow that's what we should all be doing.
1: That's, yeah, that's what happened. And then ironically with that company about eight, nine months later, then they started opening up the same jobs back in Cork and, and growing like a big marketing department then back in Cork.
2: Oh, you're saying that that outsourcing to New York City from Cork did not end up making financial sense.
1: I know, John, it's, 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 it's so strange, Crazy isn't it? Talk. Like now, now that we say it out loud, um, it's so strange, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So I'm fascinated that you had this like positive experience and I'm assuming that if you had had that same negative experience, you know, it might've been a barrier to landing you doing the job and, and making the positive impact. So, uh, the employer had to be doing something right, you know, by writing a job description that correctly screened you, like your personal screen, to to qualify. You know, yourself qualifying yourself in for applying for the job, even right. So that that was like a uh, an interesting lesson there for employers out there. Like, oh hey. You know, you need to write good job descriptions and have the actual things that are important to the job in the description. And then you'll find the people who are good for that job. Um, But then, you know, to have that positive interviewing experience, it was probably also pretty important to to that as well. Because if you had gotten like a really strongly negative feeling, you had other options. Like you could have kept uh, running your own business
1: yeah I know you're you're right, but and i I think things had changed this time around because I had my own business, you know, um and if anybody's wondering, the reason I was kind of deciding to come back into the workplace is very simple. it's just a mortgage, you know, just just to I gotten feedback from banks basically that, that they needed to see um consistent income like every month, and they needed to see this and that and um, with my own business the only way I was going to kind of hit those figures was if I if I went global you know if I say if I scaled and went international and had to hire a team of people I was not going to do that so actually the thing with the VMware role is that it was on contract initially so that was also quite attractive for me I was like I can just if I'm successful I could kind of put my toe in the water and see like can I be an employee again you know what's it like and as I said earlier it, it's a win-win you know for everybody that like I can put my toe in the water if I get the job um, it's a contract role um, and it, it suits both of us and I suppose that the role in VMware is brand new job as well it was is a new job actually one of my interviews they said that they were kind of looking for a startup mindset as well it's like that's me you know an entrepreneurial type spirit and not to be bigging up VMware, but the, the job spec was written in that new Go hiring format, which, uh, myself and Nick had spoken about earlier. It's, right. it's a very unique type of job description and it focuses on what the person is expected to do, uh, rather than what they're required to have. And so that the phrase is a performance over pedigree. So, um, I am living proof of that.
0: You didn't quit SmartFox, right? That's still something that you do on the side and it helps you really sharpen skills and make you a better employee during the day, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. It's scaled back massively to, I wouldn't even say it's a side hustle. It's probably like a mini side hustle now. Um, I do the odd webinar in the evenings, like after six o'clock. I'm still a speaker, you know, um, a conference speaker in that right I have some lovely partnerships with some student groups, um, particularly two women in STEM groups and two universities here in Cork that I'm I'm very fond of them. You know, the cliche, what is the why? Um, So so I love that. You know, I love kind of demystifying uh, LinkedIn for students and just teaching them the right way to kind of go about it from the very start. And especially with these women in STEM groups. I'm connected with a lot of them, and after they graduate they they go some of them go into roles in in nice companies here in Cork, and i'm I see them just grow and change their job titles. and um it's wonderful. like it is lovely. i We're in very safe hands um for the future. So I do that, and I have my own online school as well. I don't promote that um as much as i I should. But you know it's nice, and sometimes I'll give away like a huge discount code, you know, just to kind of enroll people in there. yeah, some people like to avail of like um training, so whether they're job seeker or sales, they kind of like the the self paced um training element as well, so I think it's very much like a security blanket, maybe because of being made redundant and and how much that affected me like financially, emotionally, spiritually um over the years, so I think it's very much a security blanket, but it's also nice to have. And it's just something I'm just passionate about as well.
2: That's really terrific. I I think that makes absolute sense. And maybe we'll make sure to have, uh, can you t- tell us the name of the school um, for the the domain and for people who maybe are interested in checking that out?
1: Absolutely. So the website is smartfox.ie. So S-N-A-R-T-F-O-X dot I-E. And then if you want to go, like there is a link to the school, but if you want to go straight to the school, it's smartfoxtraining.com.
2: Terrific. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you. That's super exciting because I I think you, you mentioned the great resignation. I'm trying to, to do one, a one person rebrand to the uh instead of calling it the great resignation calling it the great upgrade because I think that people are not actually quitting their jobs and doing nothing I think what they're finding out is that there's better positions out there and more more flexible work and remote work has opened up the market for them to do other things um so that's what they're doing and you know people you know some jobs are are figuring out oh uh, we had people working for us because they were desperate, and now that they're not desperate for anything, because you know their other positions are now available to them, it's being spun, I think, by people as like, oh, people just aren't willing to work, or they're they're lazy, and you know aren't willing to you know. Die people won't risk their lives, you know, to do my job for minimum wage. I, and I don't understand why.
0: And they won't <laughs> schedule every second of their day because they want to eat lunch. I can't believe that.
1: <laughs> some of the, I've seen it also referred to as like the great revolution, which is, is a good one as well. Yeah, it certainly, I think there, for some jobs, the, the, those of us who are lucky to have remote work, that um, that that has certainly put the cat amongst the pigeons, definitely. I actually put a poll up on my LinkedIn. The question was, is the great resignation just based in the u s or do you think it applies to Ireland as well? um because out of my let's say friendship group, my connections colleagues, I hadn't seen anybody kind of leave their their multinational roles and move to like another role this was a couple of months ago perhaps i'm just connected with too many recruiters and and talent acquisition people but it came back like 70 percent said yes it does apply to ireland it's not just a u.s phenomenon then um we were chatting with one of my colleagues in india and we were looking at a piece of email marketing to, to candidates to people who've applied for jobs in our database and I was suggesting we put something like, oh, join the Great Resignation, join VMware, you know, in the in the headline. And our uh, India colleague was like, what is the Great Resignation? She wasn't aware of that term. So I, in spite of what my LinkedIn poll says, I think perhaps it might be more of a US phenomenon than uh, controversial maybe. I think it might be more US related but I don't have any data from the UK or from London. So maybe I shouldn't say that either.
2: So interesting. I, I feel like maybe with the right Google foo, like we could uh, figure out whether that is a, you know, the localities of that search phrase or where it's ap- appearing in media.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: With
0: what Louise knows about SEO and Google <laughs> analytics, we could absolutely find that information.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: It sounds like in a homework assignment for John White.
2: Yes, like I will Electus, definitely take know, that on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm never held accountable for these tasks, so um, I'm happy to commit to that.
1: You could write a blog on it, John. To be fair, I
2: absolutely could. With your you know, findings. that is a great idea. I'd I'm going to commit here and now to to having that out by the time this is published. Amazing! So you can check out my uh, blog on it at uh, vjourneyman.com. The uh, locality. And appearance of media of the phrase "great resignation" throughout the English-speaking world over time. This is the precursor to his uh, three-volume book series as well. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm if I'm really good, then I'll have a live dashboard that people can look at as well. But I, I'm I won't I won't commit to that because uh, who knows if I'll figure out the technology for that. But um, that would be that would be cool if I could do that. But meh. <laughs> maybe I gotta do an am- animation like where it appears over time, like you know, the appearance in per like region over time. So you can like click on like uh you know the the English speakers in Ireland, the UK, and maybe Norway and the entire Scandinavian region. You know, because there's quite a bit of English speaking there. Maybe just, uh, Western Europe. Who knows? New Zealand, we'll see Australia. What yeah, A and Z. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: A and Z, as they say down there.
0: You, you're going to have to let your editor know if we're keeping all that or not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I'm 100% committing to having that, that done. Again, no accountability, so who knows if I've actually done it. You know, you in the future who've listened this far into the episode can, uh, tweet at me and let me know if I have or have not done that that's my accountability and if you can rightly predict it then uh, I'll send you some stickers awesome Louise I I really um maybe you mentioned like the uh the women in STEM uh, Mm. and the like work you've been doing at local universities if it's not too much trouble before we close out could you maybe talk a little bit about that and then uh we can let you go I feel like we've taken up so much of your time
1: you're fine I'm, I'm enjoying the chat yeah so it started a couple of years ago and I got an inquiry through my website into my inbox and it was from Women in STEM Society in a university We've two here we have UCC University University College Cork and MTU Munster Technological University so um I got a, an inquiry from one of those universities and basically they had to do google search we're looking for linkedin training and like this is all generated by themselves it's not like a lecturer said it to them or anything like the the president of the society said uh oh we love to get um linkedin training we found you online they got sponsorship from a local pharmaceutical company that they've got ties with so they were able to pay me And I said, I would love to do that. So it was just my my usual um, 15 minute kind of lecture on the do's and don'ts of LinkedIn for job seekers. It's kind of like a boot camp, basically. And I delivered it in one of their lecture halls here in Cork. And what was amazing was that after my talk, they had invited the, the Photography Society in to take professional headshots of them and um it's not amazing so awesome. isn't it absolutely so straight Very away, forward was, looking yes so straight away I was like these ladies know exactly what they're doing they're setting themselves up for success like when I was in university I was just either hung over or in the library basically I wasn't um, as proactive as those ladies so it was wonderful and they were absolutely lovely and um i've connected with a lot of them that's about four years ago now as i mentioned earlier i've seen them like progress and kept up to date with their um with their their progress um on linkedin and i'm just reminded it was a couple of months after that i was out for lunch on saturday in cork and went into this restaurant and there was a big long table in the middle of the restaurant 20-25 20-25 all women like young women and a few other women older women down at the end of the table and I kind of looked at them and they looked at me and I recognized a few of them and I was like are you it's key like, women in STEM um and a few of them were like yes and we had a lovely chat and basically they had um a leadership at a weekend leadership workshop um in conjunction with one of the the pharmaceutical companies so that basically started it and I got such good feedback and they loved that session so much that um I do it now once a year with them every year so the last two years were obviously um online and um, then with the other university just very quickly their lecturers had organized like a one day prepare yourself for interview um and so they had loads of different sessions um, it was incredible. And um, they had mock interviews as well. But I was invited in to, to give them a talk on the same thing on LinkedIn for job seekers. It's, it's very funny because I show them like headlines. You know, on LinkedIn, you have your headline basically. And um, I knew we had some software engineers in the group. And I wanted to get, I wanted to show them like really cool examples of really creative. Headlines. So I typed in like software engineer and into LinkedIn and did people. And um, I was like on page four basically. And it was all like software engineer, software engineer, software, there was no cool headlines whatsoever. Um, and so then I said, Oh, maybe I'll I'll, I'll change the location to like Silicon Valley. And I was like, they'll have cool headlines over there for sure. No, software engineer, software engineer, software engineer. And eventually, Eventually, I don't know where I went, but I found like two kind of cool headlines. I don't even remember what they were. I was like software engineer specializing in AI for blah, blah, blah. And I was like, finally, somebody who's who's telling me a little bit more, doing their elevator pitch in their headline. So I I thought that'd be really interesting. So I put that into the presentation and I told them and I, I had it on slides going. I did so many searches and I was like, I couldn't find anybody apart from like these two people. And I was like, I'm telling you, I said it, this is, this is ripe for, for development. I was like, even if you put in like five other words, you know, in addition to software engineer in your headline, you're really going to catch the eye of recruiters, of talent acquisition people. You're just going to tell us a little bit more about yourself. We had a bit of a chat about that. And some of them were like, but, but I don't like words and, you know, like you know why? Why can't we just be like software engineers? You know, and and why? Like I don't know how to write in that. So we ended up doing an an impromptu little workshop um, on the whiteboard around that. But um, I I just thought it was quite funny, and I actually use that those slides now in a lot of my training to kind of say, you know, think outside the box here. So so that was that. That's how that started, and that's how that's continuing. And they're fab, and they're lovely, and. Hopefully I'll do it every year for as long as I can.
0: I don't think you realize it, Louise, but every time you share something, you end up ending on a lesson for all of us. And I really enjoy that. So the one for us here is master your headline. Make sure that you write something that accurately describes what you do and think differently about it compared to maybe what other people write who do the same thing as you. Never know what might happen.
1: It's your elevator pitch. Um, it's not even like a minute. It's probably like a 20-second elevator pitch. But on a very practical level, you know, it influences hearts and minds. It influences the other people at the other side of the screen. But also on LinkedIn, it has a massive impact on search engine optimization. Where are you going to appear? Are you going to appear on page one of the search results for that, that term? Um, and if you're a job seeker, that's actually... The big thing that you can do because it is so influential on the the search bot on LinkedIn, but also um, it influences uh, Google search as well.
2: That's that's fascinating. And right when you said headline, like my heart sank because I've definitely seen some headlines where it's you know it's like a sentence. And it's like helping people understand the power of the you know, and I'm I'm out. Like I, I don't actually care what comes after that. But really what you're talking about is adding just like even five extra words at the end of the title, like, you know, having the industry standard title and then maybe the word specializing in and then, you know, something, 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 something like that will really help somebody who is trying to micro target you and they just don't know it yet and find you. Right, and uh, that just makes so much sense.
1: Well, there's makes a so there's a big difference between your your job title, which sits further down under the experience, and your headline. So you know where your picture is, and your headline is the words underneath that. So think of it like a newspaper headline, basically. And you don't even like there is a character count on it. So what I do is instead of using a and d, I use the ampersand symbol, the little. Squiggly symbol. And then, you know, the I don't know what the official name is, but you know, like the line, the little line that you can use. It's on my Mac keyboard. type symbol. That's it. I knew it had a name. Um, so on my Mac, it's it's on the right-hand side, and it's beside the return key. It's that straight line. So that's what I do in my headline. I use that to kind of um, divide my keywords, basically. So your headline and your job title are two of the most powerful search engine elements on your profile, and if you're a job seeker, I actually spend the most amount of time when I'm working one-to-one with job seekers um, on, on those two elements as well. Not just from an SEO point of view, but influencing hearts and minds, telling your story, telling your narrative, and catching the eye of recruiters and talent acquisition specialists.
2: So I'm looking at, just maybe we could use me as an example, I'm looking at my headline. My headline is literally my title. Good I work for title. Google. Yeah, and I've used my job title as my headline. My job title is customer engineer and the headline says customer engineer at Google. But like I'm I'm thinking about this. First of all, I don't work necess- I work specifically in Google Cloud, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then it, also customer engineer is not the industry standard title for what it is that I do. So maybe I could do something like customer engineer pipe pre-sales technical engineer at google cloud
1: yeah pipe you know podcast and the name
0: Ah. host of the nerd journey podcast
1: if you choose to Mm -hmm. yeah teller
0: of stories yeah got it and then
1: you you beef up your your job title as well so some people would be like oh it only says this on my contract whereas with me um like to tell you another little story when i set up my own company smart fox and i was a director and um, so i put that in my in my job title just the word director and i was just like ah, oh, job done amazing and then um i started on linkedin putting in like a linkedin trainer linkedin training specialist and i wasn't coming up on page one page two page three i was down on like page four and then i did my usual I was like. What do the people on page one have that I don't have? And again, so simple. They had the word LinkedIn trainer everywhere. They had it in their headlines. They had these big, long job titles like LinkedIn trainer, you know, specializing in personal branding, LinkedIn expert. (laughs) They must have said the word Mm -hmm. LinkedIn like three times. You read through the about section, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Um, In the skills section, like LinkedIn, So again, you know, I'm just, what was I thinking director? And I use this example in my training as well, show how important it is. So again, like what I had to do with my website that time totally revamped, um, my own LinkedIn profile. And then one time somebody did a search for me and I was coming up second, like putting a LinkedIn trainer and I was second in their search results. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think, what I love about search engine optimization. It is, it is so easy to manipulate. It's so easy to kind of influence when, when you have your little formula, and um, because it's, it's words, and I love words, so it's kind of perfect for me.
2: It's, it's definitely easier when everybody else isn't doing it, right? Yeah. So, like, you're literally putting yourself in the top one percent because. 99% of the people haven't even thought to make the effort. Yep. And so standing out is easy to get into the top of like 100 results. And then you're probably competing more and more with, you know, needing, high, you know, better and more content, high quality content, the higher up you, you want to go. So if you want to place in that top five, you know, you probably can't just stuff LinkedIn in every th- single statement. You probably need to like, link to some blog posts that you've written from LinkedIn, you know, out to your blog or something like that, like, and then have those place well.
1: Or you may have, you know, the Huffington Post kind of mentioned your article in one of the, and you have right. a, an inbound link, you know, coming from like bigger mm-hmm. sites. But I will say that it's it's one thing ranking highly for like LinkedIn trainer Ireland. But then when you get into the, the space of, let's say, like global airlines or like massive, massive, massive industries and like top, top, top search terms where you have search engine optimization experts and specialists who, let's say, would be minutely technical. It moves beyond the beauty of words. Then at that stage, I think then, like I've seen somebody tweet like four years they've been trying to get to number one and then on this one day, they their company website eventually overtook second place and got to number one. So, I think for smaller businesses, yes, it's 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 great and it it can be quite easy to do. It just takes consistency. But for when when you're getting into the realm of professional full time teams of SEO experts, I yeah, I'd say if you could get some of them on your podcast, I think it would be fascinating.
2: Well, Louise, I I have to say that I feel like, you know, if we're trying to go from uh, 20 to number one in podcasts, you know, going up against, uh, I don't know, Joe Rogan or whoever (laughs) is up there, maybe we'll do that. But I I really feel like, you know, for the audience that we're trying to reach, people who are trying to revolutionize or upskill their career, you know, to, to make progress. Some of the things that you've talked about, writing quality content, and then understanding what it is that people are looking for when they're looking for you, understanding the the actual like you know rule in skill uh, that is being asked for in in a job domain, and then going out and getting training for that, and then seeing the results like the things and lessons that you've talked about today are just gold. It was just 100% nugget of gold, nugget of gold, nugget of gold, pipe, nugget of gold, (laughs) nugget of gold, nugget of
1: gold. Oh, thanks, John.
0: I'm messaging John saying that was gold.
1: That was gold. Oh, you're so good. So guys, just actually before I go, um, there's a couple of really quick tips that I would like to to give any job seekers or job changers out there. So um, I suppose what I learned was the power of your network and um well like in Ireland and Cork everybody knows everybody and I've learned that certain jobs certain roles will kind of come about or certain I suppose recommendations or referrals will come about through like your network so when I was made redundant I actually didn't know any other marketers in Cork um because I had been so focused like internally Within the previous company. And, um, it was actually a big realization that I was like, I don't know a marketing director. I don't know, um, a decision maker in marketing. There's nobody who can kind of recommend me. So I, I joined a women and networking, uh, business group. Um, it was my first time ever networking. Uh, I was very nervous, but they were lovely and I just kept going. They had an event every Wednesday evening, it was a lovely event. I kept going and I um, actually met my graphic designer, uh, Paula, through that, who designed the Fox and my branding and and we bartered, you know, because I had no money. Um, so I gave her an hour of my time for digital marketing every week and she gave me an hour of her time. And actually, when I was freelancing, when I was working with clients, they loved my branding and so I ended up getting Paula a lot of work. Like, I was her digital marketer. She was my graphic designer. We kind of tag teamed on a lot of projects together. So I think that's the, a huge thing. And I know people have asked me, well, in these online times, you know, how do I do that? So attend like LinkedIn live events, um, but, but maybe ask a question or like connect with the speaker or the organiser afterwards on LinkedIn and say, I attended the event. I thought it was great. I'd love to connect. You know, if you are called for interview, you know, you can look up the interviewer if you get their name on LinkedIn. Um, so I think that's, that's really, really important. And also, I don't know, you know, where the listeners are based, but here in Cork, if you're an engineer, there's like the Engineers Society. If you're a marketer, there's a the Marketing Institute of Ireland Society, then, if you if you're in IT, like there's loads, there's IT at Cork, and there's a few others. So wherever your tribe hang out, wherever your community is, don't be shy and and join that. And if you end up going to a physical event, don't stand in the corner, you know, with with your cup of tea or coffee. You know, stand stand at the coffee station, make eye contact. People are there to talk, people are there to engage, and also. Um, business cards so I, I just got some business cards like online basically that said Louise Bunyan digital marketing specialist with my email address my phone number um cheap as chips but it's just really nice to have something like at a physical event you know get business cards hand out business cards and connect them on LinkedIn so I think that's the one of the big things if I could go back in time if I could tell myself that that would be one of the big things secondly LinkedIn will get you found in searches, recruiters will reach out to you on LinkedIn. So think of that like the top of the funnel almost. So like that's that part. But then what comes next in the pipeline is your CV. So that's like another part of the process. And then thirdly is the interview. And, um, my, in hindsight, my interview skills weren't great. As you can see, I talk a lot and I can go off on tangents. Um, so when you're in an interview situation that (laughs) for a job, that actually doesn't go down very well. Um, so when I thought about, um, stepping away from my business and going back, um, interviewing actually kind of, I joke, but like I had interview PTSD. Um, so I had to work kind of quite hard on that. But most importantly, I reached out to my network and I worked with a really good um, interviewer coach so I had two sessions with her and that was invaluable and then when it came time to interviewing like a year I'd say a year and a half ago maybe I interviewed three companies the first company I interviewed with I didn't get the job but I got feedback afterwards and they were lovely and I got down to the final two out of 100 applicants. And the person who got the job had actually worked in the company previously and could just hit the ground running. So there was like nothing I could do about it physically. Like there was nothing I could do about that job. So that was actually lovely feedback to get and that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, the second company I interviewed with. Again, I think they got like 150 applicants. I got down to the last two and um, t- two tough interviews, I have to say, um, I didn't want the job I knew after the first interview, but it was re- I didn't want to do the second interview, so that meant I had to do it because it was going to be difficult, which meant I did it. But at that stage, I didn't care and I was so cheeky and I was so bold. you know, I was brazen like in that interview and they actually really liked it they offered me the job. I was two interviews in with VMware at that stage and I knew VMware was the one for me. I just knew it. And um, I I declined. I, I t- told the other company, let me have the weekend to think about it. I declined. And um, it was a bit of a bit of a gamble, bit of a risk. But because I had my own company, I was like, you know, I can fall back on that if I don't get the VMware role. But actually for my sec for my third and for my fourth interview for VMware I I I just told them openly like I want this job like this job spec is me and there's so much I can do. And I think lastly because I'd worked for myself, because I had learned to hustle because I'd learned to sell and because I was coming up with ideas and I was showing them what I would love to do, what I could do if I got into the role. And that was probably one of the first times I'd ever kind of gone in it, into an interview and said, I want this and this is what I can do for you. Um, so I suppose my confidence had just come on leaps and bounds. And uh, four interviews from a woman, I couldn't even get arrested like after I got made redundant. So... So yeah, like it just, everything just kind of came together and the stars aligned. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is it's tough. It's really tough when you're going for interviews. And sometimes if you're finding it quite grueling, you know, if you're getting ground down, if you can go to an interview coach and work your network, optimize your profile. There are so many small things that you can do that will add up to to a greater kind of shift in your luck basically and and I just wish you all the best of luck and if you need to go freelancing to build up that experience or if you need to get kind of a lower paid job just to get off that grind of, um, of interviewing like that's absolutely fine too but like like John and Nick are doing you know they're they have their podcast I have my blog so is there something that you can do that is just going to show an employer like I'm really just passionate about the subject and um that will make you stand out in and of itself and by the way when you're doing a blog like you can just create a little portfolio site like I did you can write four blogs and put them up there nobody's going to be saying you must be writing a blog a week but it's just showing something that that gives you a little bit of gold dust it gives you a little bit of sparkle um, and it just kind of makes you stand out and look if you need to play the game if you need to create a portfolio website and stick up four blogs just to be able to say in an interview i'm so passionate about this i have my own blog do that you know just give yourself every chance so that those are my top tips let's say for getting ahead in job seeking
0: wow thank you so much louise we really appreciate you taking the time here
2: yeah just like nick said earlier just nuggets of gold after nuggets of gold. And um, we appreciate your time and your passion. Every lesson that we've learned will we'll definitely have you back. Um, I'm sure that we'll come up with all kinds of uh, hypotheses and, and topics that maybe we could uh, collaborate on for another interview.
1: That would be wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It's been great fun hanging out with you both.
0: went through a ton of interviews like Louise did, would you think to keep a spreadsheet tracking your interview feedback as a way to analyze the data and make a decision? I'm just not sure that everybody would. I think that's fantastic that she did that. Again, documenting what's happening and making data-driven decisions that she could control. She can control what she did and I just love that. She also mentioned that she got some experience She got experience through freelancing and she beefed up her content. She optimized it, that search engine optimization, getting the words right, making sure the content was very much quality content is a theme of this episode and the last one. And that's something we can all take away. If we're going to make online content, we should make sure it's of a good quality. Even if it's not a lot, let's make sure that whatever we showcase is good and represents our brand well to an employer. I kind of wondered if maybe she had a fear about going back inside and working for an employer again after owning her own business. I wondered if maybe a potential employer would ask her, you know, why would you come work for me if you're working for yourself? But she shares with us that, number one, there was a really good financial reason to do it, and it was looked upon as a good thing. Because in the business unit she was joining, they actually wanted somebody with a startup mindset. This reminds me of the discussion that Scott Lowe and I had in episode 153. He talked about why he liked the startup life. So there's startup as a company that you can go and work for, like Kong, where Scott Lowe works as of the publishing of this episode. And then there are large organizations that have groups that operate kind of like startups within that big organization. So a couple different ways to get that experience that you may not know about. I like the fact that Louise continues to do smart fox things on the side. She's dialed it back a bit, but she hasn't stopped the side gig, the side hustle, and flexing those muscles as well, keeping the creative juices flowing. I have to say her work with women in STEM and the LinkedIn training she did was fantastic. I liked the examples that she shared, those practical tips for all of us, making sure we get our headline right and our job description right on our own LinkedIn page so that we can be more attractive to potential employers, whether we're looking for work or not. It's all about search engine optimization. I think we've heard... A number of guests mentioned the focus on professional networking. That was something Louise learned perhaps a little bit later than she wanted to. So make sure you're building up your professional network, whether you're doing that in person, remotely. And don't forget that you can trade services with people to get experience that you can list on your resume. That's a great, great lesson. Last thing I'll say is... Remember Louise's advice to do something, whatever that is, blog, podcast, something else you do, create, show evidence of, do something to show an employer you're passionate about a subject. And that, in and of itself, is going to help you stand out in the interview process. I hope you enjoyed this series of interviews as much as I did. And definitely send us feedback if you have it. Just a reminder. We'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. Farewell listeners, tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd Underscore, flying solo for now. From my buddy John White, at V Journeyman, signing off.